Ladies and gentlemen, prepare for liftoff. I'm Tony Dosat. And I'm Peter Clayman. Now, this is going to be a unique episode for us because typically, Peter and I either have a conversation together or we support each other in interviewing guests that we have on. Now, today, I'm going to be acting as the sole host of the show because we have with us a very um, handsome, strapping, intelligent man. He's a co-worker of ours, a colleague, and he and Peter represent the same competency within Bottle Rocket, which is the business strategy arm. And so I thought it'd be interesting if I was the audience and I asked questions to them in a way that, you know, we want to stay curious here. That's one of the call outs that we do. Stay curious. So let's all be curious together. And I'm going to interview these two cats about business strategy. So I do want to welcome to the show we do need to disclose that this might be confusing because we both have the same name and yeah. we're not, you know, we're very aware that there's only four people on the business strategy team and two of them are named Peter. So, you know, I'm <laughs> getting the draw here. I'm getting two Peters for the price of one today. <laughs> now, we got Peter Clayman and we've got Peter Bandy. For the purposes of not being uh, confusing or using too many plosives in the mic, we're going to have Peter... Clayman, my usual co-host, be Peter, and we'll have Peter Bandy be Bandy. Oh, goodness, Bandy, it's your worst nightmare going just by your last name. This has been a debate in our group for a long time about how we go as gnome. What are our gnomers? Like a high school coach. Bandy, you're on. So, (laughs) hey, hey, Bandy, Peter Bandy, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to it. Okay, so I'm going to kick this off with something very broad. As an audience member now, <laughs> I'm playing the role. What the heck is business strategy? What does it mean? What are the implications? Who wants to take it? Benny, you want to you want to take it first? I'll follow up. Sure. Well, uh, most broadly, it's a navigation from where you are now to where it is that you need to be. Mm, I like that. As it is for product strategy, as it is for experience design strategy. Um, And a lot of times what happens in a big part of our role in rectifying is keeping the focus on understanding what that navigation looks like, because it's very easy to um, mix up the end state for the actual strategy of how it is that you get there together. I think that's really interesting. The first thing I thought of is like you're a Sherpa. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. An executive Sherpa. <laughs> yeah, an executive yeah. Sherpa. It's just like real life. Yeah. So <laughs> when I think about a Sherpa, <laughs> I don't often, but when I do, there's trust, right? It's I'm giving you literally all of my trust to scale this mountain, to get up this summit together. How do you, man, that's a big question. How do you gain that trust? Oh, that is a great question, Tony. And I would say that it's different 
based on the types of individuals we're working with, which varies by company, by the stage the company is in. What I mean by that is, you know, a startup's going to look for different advice and different trust building activities than a mid cap company that might have a certain amount of scale in that 200 million to 2 billion revenue amount to a large enterprise that's the 2 bill to 10 bill amount versus a 10 billion plus, which we would call, you know, Fortune 500, if not higher. And each of them are going to look for different ways to demonstrate that trust. But mm. usually, it all starts with something small. And what I mean by that is maybe a small strategy engagement or a series of research that we do on behalf of a client to identify some gaps or some things that we're able to identify in the course of our normal project through interviews and other things. Say, hey, I know you hired us to focus on your experience and build a, the best possible experience. But the more we get in here, the more we're starting to realize there might be other opportunities to drive efficiencies in your organization or to improve processes or to adjust the way you're going to market by doing A, B, and C. The biggest part about building a trust, and I'll go back to your Sherpa analogy. Yeah. When you're a Sherpa, you're prepared for anything. So if you get to the hardest part of the climb and the ice fall ladders are out and you have to go around, you know you have to go around. Now, you can't tell your client, hey, the ice fall ladders are going to be out and we're going to go around. When you get there and you look out in the chasm, you go, oh, shit, there's no ice fall ladders. Then you have to say, hey, there's no ice fall ladders. I need five minutes. I got to look at the weather. I need to assess what gear we brought. Mm. I need to better understand where we're trying to go. And from that, we'll come up with a plan. Transparency. Very much a parallel. Yeah. Tran radical transparency. Do you, do you find that it's difficult to be... Because there's this idea of like radical candor. Uh, I forget who the author is. Radical transparency. You know, it's, it's sort of having a moment now as a buzzword, but it's so true, at least to me, in developing that trust. And both parties have to be open and willing to, to participate in that sort of dialogue and transparency. Do you find that to be true, Bandy? Uh, yeah, I absolutely find that to be true. Um, willingness and honesty are really the two key things. And um, we consistently find that people who are at a level where they've been entrusted with the kind of responsibility that we're building trust with them to be able to participate in helping to move forward, um, almost universally respect that. And to the extent that they don't, honestly, um, we can add more value by helping to try to get them there. And in the contexts, and then should you find yourself in a place where people can't get there, generally speaking, it um, points out possibility of long-term risk for what it is that you're trying to accomplish together anyway. Mm. Because to Peter's point about the ice fall and the ladders, you have to know that you have clear communication and that you trust each other in terms of that you're both, you both can not only get aligned, but stay aligned on that path. Yeah. Because if you can't and you can't trust your ability to stay aligned, um, then you're headed for trouble. To me, everything you guys have said have has doubled down on this idea where... It's so easy and so common 
to use language like the client or you know getting clients or our client or what does the client think where like i said it's easy to say it's part of the vernacular but i think that there is power in establishing it as a partnership right we're in this together as one you may write the check at the end of the day but how do you evolve from this is the client we're the order taker into we are in this together as a partnership in wanting to move forward in a successful relationship that equals a successful product that equals happy customers and users I think it comes down to empathy. You know, that's very much at the core of what we do and the core of our brand and how it is that we relate to our clients, to their customers, Um, whether we're looking at it from an experience design empathy, whether we're looking at it from a product empathy standpoint, our lens tends to be a little bit broader in the context of the business and empathizing with what their overall goals and how digital fits into that uh, more broadly. And as a result, we very keenly appreciate the fact that any of our clients are making a very significant bet on us yeah, and, and owning that, owning the bet that they're making on us. There is a point in time right now where they have a specific result that they need to achieve in the marketplace. They're trusting on the basis of our early conversations together that we know the path, we can get them through the ice falls, we can get them to the summit, but this is this is the time that they need to get there. It is at this point in the season. They have to reach the summit by this particular time. And if we can't get them there, it is not. It is a huge cost to them. And we own the fact that they're making that bet. And we honor that by, uh, as you mentioned, you know, having that spirit of partnership. And I think a lot of it just comes down to the frame. When you take that as your frame, it automatically makes its way into all of your conversations, not just with the client, but with all of the teams that are focused on Mm. delivering that outcome together. Mm. And to get extra meta, when we get to the first peak with the client or, you know, in partnership with our, our partners, not only do we have to go down the hill to get back to the base, but we have to go down the hill with new requirements, new expectations. So we mm. might have gone up the hill thinking that we were able to drop all our trash on the summit. And we have to go down the hill realizing we have to bring all our trash with us to get ready for a month later going up six more summits. Mm. So it's never a stop. The Sherpa's role never ends. Now, certain firms see business strategy as something that's naturally evolving within their business, something that doesn't have a strong singular leader that the leadership team universally aligns on. And other firms have a much more purpose-driven culture where there's core responsible roles for strategy. Now, the toughest part about strategy is sometimes people don't follow our perspectives. And our job isn't to leave the client because they're not cool with our approach to icefall. Yeah, It's to turn around and go, Okay, so you're not comfortable with us loading you into a cannon and shooting you over the gap. Let's figure out three other ways that could work based on the fact that you've now told us for the first time that you're scared of explosives and you're, you refuse to be in a cannon <laughs> and you we need to go with something else. Glad you let us know that now. Wish you had told us that before we packed the cannon on the way up to the top of the mountain, but all good. Let's find something else that works for you. Plus, if you think, Tony, about the, the other aspect of the Sherpa analogy, just to you know, absolutely squeeze everything out of it that you can. <laughs> squeeze the Sherpa. 
part of, <laughs> if we think about the Sherpa analogy and the importance of helping uh, people understand the equipment that they need to bring together, they need to pull together on the trip. We specifically working with our clients, think about digital in the broader strategic context of what it is that they're trying to do inside their business and appreciating that there are a lot of additional things inside of their business that they need to do to be able to support the experience that they're putting together. Everybody is far, far past what once upon a time was a goal of simply putting an app in market. Mm. Experience today is a series of interconnected digital touch points that create an entire digital surface area that manage how a brand interacts with their customers, how they manage, maintain, and evolve the value chain of what it is that they're delivering to their customers, but also to their partners in the marketplace. And to be able to, that takes a lot of support. Some of that support, they realize coming into it, they don't have. Some of it, they do have. Some of it, they don't realize they don't have. And part of the process of being a Sherpa in this context is helping to understand that broader view of all the different pieces that need to come to play and being able to actually partner with them over the long term, as we have with many of our existing clients, to help them to stand up and evolve those competencies in-house. You know, and the hardest part of what Bandy just shared with us is the situation where a client believes that they have a capability that actually isn't prepared to be a capability that supports the net new version of the future state experience. Mm. Those are hard conversations. Those are the conversations where you say, hey, no, you have a team. I'm not entirely sure that this team is the best fit for where you're trying to grow your business. So there's a couple of approaches there. Do we exit the team? Do we retrain the team? Or do we repurpose the team? And all of those come with cost. Sure. And some level of politics. Yeah. And, you know, trust. That, to me, if you have that conversation, there's nothing more paramount than trust and a shared understanding of each other. Uh, and and self-awareness, for that matter. I find that self-awareness in an organization and in a person is the best thing one can have. And it's hard to attain, and and it's constantly evolving, but... Everything you guys are saying is just blowing my socks off here. I want to take it in two different directions here. Uh, Well, and Tony, let me just add one final point on what Peter said before we move on, because I think it's really important to note that with all of our clients, as with our team at Bottle Rocket, at the end of the day, we always keep in mind that we're talking about collections of human beings that are bound together into a common purpose. Yeah. And and Peter just outlined the idea of that sort of multiple choice of where you're going. And there are costs to all those things, but fundamentally it's about calling out here's the work to be done. Let's talk about what it takes to get done. And here's what it looks like to be able to immediately start and do it right now versus here's what it looks like to ramp up into it. There's just a conversation to be had there. But at the end of the day, if you approach it with the, with that perspective, uh, we find that everybody gets to where they need to be. People, process, and technology. The three pillars to our successful long-term growth plan. This actually transitions beautifully into my next little bit here. <laughs> okay, all of this stuff is juicy. We got the trust. We got the Sherpa going on. 
We got tough conversations and transparency, etc. Okay. I struggle with, this is just me, the term thought leadership. Okay. That's just me. <laughs> All right. Now, would Says I. Tony while recording thought leadership. <laughs> Maybe it's just a humble thing. I don't know. Now, would I accept someone saying, oh, you're a thought leader in this? I'd be like, oh my gosh, you're so sweet. I'd all think so. I think I'm just a good listener. But how do you build those sort of bona fides as thought leader if you don't have stuff like all the Hall of Fames that we have and awards that we have and all the, you know, I could go on and on about the accolades, but accolades don't mean anything if the follow through isn't there on a case by case basis with clients. Is, is this tracking with you? Absolutely. You know, we have this conversation quite often. And Danny, okay. you have the perfect analogy for this, which is if you come to the realization that you read two books about a topic, it's likely that for 99% of the global population, you know more about that topic. Now, there's that 1% of the global population that you don't know more about that topic about. Mm. So it's all about honing in and finding ways to continue to move up that quartile, right? So from 1% to 0.5%, from 0.5% to 0.2%, from 0.2% to 0.05%. And at each stage gate, it's very much like, oh my, are we back to the Sherpa analogy? Uh We are. So there's multiple stages when you go through a climb. There's multiple base camps. Base camp one, for many, feels so high. For most climbers, that's the easiest part of it. So base camp one would be a strong general global understanding on a topic with limited validation outside of your core research. Base camp two might be the ability to do more primary source research. And the beautiful thing here is we have clients, we have partners, and we have whole networks of people we can draw upon to have conversations about this. So that's really how, you know, from my perspective, where we get to that next level on is forming a hypothesis and then disproving or validating that hypothesis consistently with as many people as we can that all have perspectives that will shape, inform, and add either structure or total gap like awareness to what it is we're thinking about. Yeah, I think there's also an important distinction to be made um, sort of from a first principles standpoint uh, when you think about expertise and you think about subject matter expertise. There's subject matter expertise around a particular kind of business and a particular kind of market. And then there's expertise in terms of understanding how to help any given business in any given market Uh navigate a digital transformation through understanding what matters um, to their, what matters to customers generally, what people respond to in terms of digital experiences generally, how, um, execution matters and as a matter of process and focus from a product standpoint overall, and then how people um, interact and respond. How do you set up experiments in the context of your ongoing laboratory of evolving those experiences that you have with your customers? So these are the areas where we have expertise. And um, from a strategy standpoint, over time and experience, we also develop the expertise of being able to get quickly up to speed with how the particulars in any given business in any given market change and affect those primary pillars that we're focused on. 
Those are some solid answers, guys. You're hired. <laughs> <laughs> there is a book. There is a book that we use quite a bit. So if people want to read a little bit more about how we get started on projects, uh, the book is called Getting Naked. Uh, I think it's by Patrick Lecioni. And it's something that we look at quite often as a way to think about an approach. Now, it's not our answer. You're not getting any secret sauce here. But it's just a way to frame out that first meeting, that second meeting, and how we move forward and build that trust in one facet. I'm going to do a little word hit list summary of the things as we wrap this up. And I have a couple more questions. All right. Empathy, transparency, trust, and restless pursuit of knowledge. And vulnerability. There's a lot of things we do yep. not know. And it's totally okay to be wrong when you're a consultant focused on corporate strategy. You just have to roll with the punch. This is huge for me to hear because so much of what y'all are saying, as an experienced architect here at Bottle Rocket, this is huge to hear because so much of what I've heard parallels with the approach we take in crafting experiences as designers. So next time that we do this, I want to bring somebody in from design leadership and do a role reversal and Peter will be the audience and we'll do this whole thing again. Anyway, but to wrap I'm this excited. up. I'm excited. I'm excited too. Okay. I'm also excited. We, <laughs> everybody's excited. <laughs> We've got the list of things. We've got all that. Now, if I'm listening, again, I'm putting myself in the shoes of the, of the audience today. And somebody out there is like, sweet, I want to be a business strategist. Where the hell do I start? What do I do? What are the things I need to have in my tool chest, whether they're hard or soft skills? And you know, the backgrounds are different. Like Bandy and Peter, you guys have completely different backgrounds. What's that unifying thing to propel me into a career in business strategy if I'm someone listening and I'm interested? So Bandy and I are going to have very different answers. Yeah. I, I'm going to hit you with the traditional, but let do you want to hear the alternative or the traditional first? I want to do traditional first, and then we're going to hit it with the alt-90s rock. Okay. So traditionally, uh, the focus would be either an undergrad or a graduate degree in business, likely specifically towards finance, but there's a lot of flexibility there. Uh, it doesn't have to be. You recruit into a corporate strategy firm, and the the target here for many is the McKinsey, Bain, BCG, the MBB, but there are many. There are many, many firms, so don't be so narrow in your focus. Uh, in that process, they're going to have you do things called case interviews. So the thing that really exposed me to consulting as a business was not thinking about going and recruiting for a corporate strategy firm. It was a class called Consulting in the Global Marketplace that I took while I was an exchange student in, in Denmark. Mm. And all we did was case studies all day, every day. HBR has thousands of case studies you can run. There's a book, Case in Point. Now, it's not the best. There's many other methods. But if you want to get started quickly and have something you can just pick up and run with, it shows you how to break down these really complex businesses into constituent parts. And the same is true in design, right? You, you have this concept of, this experience is gigantic. How do we get started? That lens is the same lens you have to take to apply to business. If you can apply that lens to business, that's the first step in my book. Because then you're going to start leaning in. You're going to learn more. You might be in a position that's not in this role, 
but you'll find that your organization, if it's maturing organization, might not have a dedicated leader. And you can step in and lob things over the fence and say, hey, I think we could do this because it would unlock XYZ and start trying to test the waters. That's like the traditional route is case studies, work for a consulting firm, understand a little bit of the landscape of where you want to play because this is a very big landscape and then move forward with that. But there are definitively alternative paths. When I think about hiring someone to the business strategy team at Bottle Rocket, I don't care so much about your traditional background. Things we are looking for are a relentless intellectual curiosity to learn more, the ability to learn on your own, the ability to conduct conversations, both with those that you have access to and those that you seek on your own to validate perspectives, and a willingness to be wrong. Those are the things that we really look for while hiring talent into our team. All right, we got the traditional path there, and now we're going to hit it perhaps with a different route. What do you so got? So it all in? starts with Burning Man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I think the common thread is absolutely what um, Peter ended with, uh, which is the idea of a relentless curiosity. So I did not go to business school. Business school, when, you know, in the mind frame that I was in when I went to college was something, you know, um, buttoned down and boring that business people did. I very much came from the suits, right? I very much came from the more artistic perspective, the, you know, design aesthetic and so on. And, you know, what I learned as I got out into the world, I was fortunate that I had uh, several good friends um, when I was younger. I mean, we're still friends, but that um, all own their own businesses. And it helped me begin to have a much more core appreciation for what this thing was all about um, and helped me to understand that this is kind of the whole ball game. I mean, all of business at the end of the day is about an exchange of value. Um, how is it that you can help people? How can you bring a new kind of value into the world? And how can you better help the people who can benefit from that value uh, learn about, see, capture, and understand, and uh, use it. Um, you know, I it was probably about six or seven years ago, I happened upon a book that was about 10 years old now called The Personal MBA. Um, I recommend it to everybody that I ever get in any kind of conversation about who is curious or interested in a broader and more well, but at the same time, more focused perspective on business outcomes in the context of any other thing that they might be doing. Anybody has an idea, new idea that they want to try out, um, people thinking interested in getting involved in startups and things like that. And it was really helpful for me and to be able to basically have a single frame to understand the way um, to sort of unlock the vocabulary and understand the way that it, people tend to universally think about this exchange of value. And it was fascinating because I remember in the work I was doing at the time, it completely changed my frame on client conversations and the perspective that I had and made me ultimately much more empathetic to their point of view. And no matter how they were talking about their business or what particular thing it was that they were trying to accomplish, I was able to basically have an you know instant map, instant mind map that says you are here because it's all, you know, it's all kind of connected together. So you know, my experience was one where at the end of the day, what in additional to in addition to the uh, intellectual curiosity, uh, creative problem solving, 
is, is what excites me. Mm-hmm. And um, I joined the business strategy team because um, I saw it as an opportunity to uh, apply that kind of same kind of creative problem solving from a design and product aspect at, um, at the business level and to think about what are the different obstacles that they're trying to navigate um, to get to where it is that they want to go and, and what is the why behind where they want to go and helping people to gain alignment about that and because it's so critical to anybody achieving anything. We've gone from the metaphorical to the philosophical to the tactical. And I appreciate that, you know, hitting them all. Before we close out, you know, Peter and I typically ask our guest uh, one final question. And so we will do that with you, Mr. Bandy. So what non-digital object or thing that you own or possess means the most to you or has impacted your life the most and why? Um, I think it would probably be my dog we've had for about... uh, coming up on four years now. Yeah. What kind of dog is it? Um, he's a pound puppy. He's a mutt. Um, we're told he is a retriever plot hound mix. Oh, okay. Um, but super sweet dog. Uh, obviously he has a lot of meaning to our family as, you know, an additional family member. And it's a little bit of a cheat to say that I own him because we don't like think about it that way. But, um, <laughs> one of the things that was really interesting that I think maybe ties into what we're talking about is at the time that we brought him home, we lived in our house for about eight years. And it was only through taking him on walks around my neighborhood that I discovered there's an entire miles and miles network of wooded paths um, that tie into a whole variety of different nature areas all around our neighborhood that are all within a few minutes walking distance to to get to multiple entry points for. It's been really great and I really value it and I value that time and it's really helpful to it's really helpful to have that space and time to think about the problems that you're trying to solve, which is another thing I would say is just so completely critical. Um, a lot of times when we're talking with folks about strategy and the things they're trying to solve, it's so hard for folks, even at the executive level, to make the space and the time to pull out of the day-to-day to really think about where they're going yeah. and why. Well, this has really been brought full circle. I want to thank my two guests today, <laughs> Peter Clayton. Bandy, I promise I won't call you Bandy in the <laughs> BR4 walls from now on. It's Peter it's K fun. and Peter B. We This has been like years in the making to figure out how we go by each other's nomers because... You know, neither of us wants to be claiming and Bandy. Well, thank you all. This has been an interesting episode, and I'm really glad that we sat down and did this because it's, you know, like your dog opened your eyes to the nature walks. This further opens my eyes to another competency, you know, at Bottle Rocket and the people that we work with. And especially during a time like this, the more that we can engage, have conversation and understand each other and what we bring to the table and where we need help and I, I think more organizations should do this on a regular basis. So thank you both for entertaining me and enlightening me. And for that matter, the audience. Likewise. Yeah, absolutely. It's great. Great.